or they get through situations which others wouldn't do because they literally will do anything at that moment and it's driven by this ferocious rage. But where does that go? You know, where do you put that? They step away and sit on the sofa. Where do they put that rage? Where does that thing go that they need to just kind of fight against something and achieve something and improve, and improve something? It needs to go somewhere and often when it can't, that's where the detrimental mm-hmm. parts come in. Hi guys, welcome to this week's podcast and on today's episode we have Luke Sutton. Luke is a former cricketer who now runs his own um, talent management company where he looks after current athletes as well as um, people in the entertainment industry. Uh, We got into Luke's new book which is all about athlete transition and the difficulties of finishing a sporting career. We also talk about why he decided uh, to start his own podcast as well as that we discuss addictions in sport, what are the areas that he thinks are problematic for athletes nowadays. It was a really good conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Um, First of all, thanks for your time. Um, the reason why I contacted you was because I saw the um, the book that is that you've written that's very relevant to this podcast, which is all about athlete transition. Um, why now? Why did you decide to write um, this book, The Death of You? Um, I mean, it's a great question. It, it's it's a subject that I think I've wanted to talk about for when I said talk about, I have been talking about it, but I, I think I wanted to put something fairly significant down on paper about. Uh, that transition for elite athletes into retirement for a long time because, um, you know, obviously it's part of my own journey, but I think partly from frustration at kind of reading about it in the media and and the sort of lack of understanding around it and also knowing, I think, how isolated athletes get with it really and, and, and wanting to be able to give them a voice as much as anything. And um uh, and and I think on top of all of that, I just was really, really interested to explore the subject even more with people with different experiences to mine. And um, yeah, so the book is called "The Death of You," which um, uh, it, you know is is a reflection of where the book goes. I think in many ways, um, but it's it was just an absolute pleasure to write it. And I, um, you know, I've had mm. I've had some lovely feedback from people who've read it, and I, you know. That, that's good enough for me. I think I think oh, it's really, a really interesting. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, a really interesting topic to dive into. Yeah, and I think that was interesting was there's not many books like this one in the first place, but also not written by an ex uh, former athlete. You know, so you were able to talk to um, different athletes from different sports, um, and also kind of put your twist on it or your interpretation on it also as a former cricketer who you know had different issues with retirement or you know as well as mental health and the kind of the process of transitioning um were there aspects of kind of uh of the book that you f- took away from that you weren't expecting that you didn't notice yourself as a cricketer that maybe you got from Tom May or um Gail M's coming from a different sport do you know, I, yes, I did. And I think the most overriding thing for me is my question going into the book was why am I so happy to be in retirement mm. and other athletes are not? Why do I not miss playing elite cricket? I don't at all, hand on heart, not not at all. But why do others long to be back in that arena so much? 
And and I think I got that, that answer got, uh, sorry, that question got answered for me because I learned so much more than I knew about the conditioning that goes on for elite athletes in different arenas and how the conditioning over time and it's different for different people. And you'll, you'll have read, you know, someone like Johnny Nelson, the conditioning was very much just about him as a person, survival in the world. Okay. The conditioning for Gail Ems as an, an Olympian was really different. And what I realized is that that conditioning and where you reach in that point, if, if it's all you ever want in life, then retirement is going to be incredibly hard because mm-hmm. it's the death of you. you. That person that got conditioned and got to that place is going to have to come to an end. For me, for me, it wasn't that. For yourself, um, your kind of transition out of sport was obviously di- different because you decided to stop playing based on uh, kind of the issues that you were having with mental health. Mm-hmm. That's very different than other athletes who kind of uh, may may finish because they aren't perceived to be performing well enough. Um, so when you finished playing, how did you... How did you deal with actually that retirement aspect or were you just ready? Was it just the right time for you? It, it, I'm going to make it sound more simple than it was. It, it was the right time for me and um, on a personal level and on a career level. I, you know, I wasn't getting any better and um, you know, I could offer something to the, 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 the first class game, but I wasn't, you know, I, 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 wasn't, uh, I wasn't improving. Um, but on a personal level, I just uh, obviously it came to halt because I went into rehab at the end of 2011 season and I needed to make some drastic changes to my life and 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 stepping away from cricket was going to allow me to do that whether I could have done it within cricket I don't know and so it was really the right time for me to step away because personally I didn't want to be that person anymore I wanted to you know the death of you I was very happy to let go of that person and try and become a better version of myself. And to step out of cricket was definitely the right time for me. And you, I remember um, you've used the word rage quite a few times. This rage for it wasn't really determination to succeed as a cricketer. There was this rage, and this was something you talked with Paul Walsh about in the book um, because he had a different kind of rage based on his, you know, he was a smaller player, so he had to have this rage within him to succeed that this is almost ne- uh, do you think this is a necessary evil for athletes to to succeed they need this kind of um this element that's also going to be it could be kind of detrimental to them for their personality as well yeah i think so i i think it's got to be that rage and it comes from different people for and, and rage it, it can when someone hears the word rage they think of someone being angry and it, it it is anger, but it's it's more it's more intensity. That's what I'd call it, like yeah. deep burning, the the strongest intensity you can possibly imagine. And that intensity is going to push someone to do things that maybe their talent doesn't, you know, get they, they go beyond their talent or they get through situations which others wouldn't do because they literally will do anything at that moment, and it's driven by this ferocious rage. So I think that elite sports people do need to have that. But is where does that go? You know, where do you put that? <laughs> you know, and if you're someone that, you know, footballers struggle the most, partly because of the, the, the kind of the freedom that the money allows them, they step away and sit on the sofa. Where do they put that rage? Where does that thing go that they need to just kind of 
fight against something and achieve something and improve and improve something it needs to go somewhere and often when it can't that's where the detrimental mm-hmm. parts come in is there an you know do you, do you feel do you have uh more of a kind of a purpose now uh in life after after sport or after, do you think you found that or is it still just an ongoing journey i mean that's quite a deep question you know this purpose in life it's a very it's quite abstract but yeah i i, I do feel like i have um but that's not to say it's always perfect and i do i definitely need to look after myself and keep an eye on uh, but that purpose for me is, you know, because I, I have a huge work ethic. I love working, you know, and, and I work obviously with with businesses that um, I own uh, now, and and I put that ferocity and that intensity into those. Um, I think the big difference for me in retirement is that I don't judge myself by the outcomes of those things. I love the competition and the battle and the the challenge of information and difficult situations. But I don't judge myself on what happens at the end of it. I don't. That's very different to what I was doing when I was a cricketer. I judge myself on how I played, did the team win. Like you would have in sport. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Whereas now my purpose is to just live the best life I can be. I know it sounds a bit coy, but I genuinely mean it. Be the best person I can be, the best father I can be, the best partner, the best ex-husband I can be, the best son. You know, I, I really, that that's what I judge myself on. And the rest of it is the competition, is the fun, is the, the where, where I place it. And I think it's just that difference of not hooking on to outcome as much as I used to. Do you think if you had this kind of, Per, you, know, you had this uh, kind of happiness or your contentment that you are that you are that you have now. Would you have made it as a as, a, as an athlete in the first place? Yeah, I do. I do because that intensity would have still been there. I think. I think I would have just been. Um, I probably would have been able to be a little bit more healthy, and it had been a bit more sustainable. But, I, but you know what? I don't, it's a great. It's a great question. I don't know the exact answer. I think so. But there was times in my career where I played through injuries, um, which I should, you know, in reality, I should never have done. I, I, but but I, I came back, I, I had a, a broken thumb and a bad, I had to have a knee operation. And the day before me coming back, and I wasn't that fit with my thumb, I injured my knee again. And I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to play because I felt I'm so under pressure to play in the team. And in that game, I actually I broke a batting record for Lancashire, and I, I, I had a great, an unbelievable game. And um, and you know, so I look back on that, and I'm like, well, you know, I probably caused my knee more long term damage. But what was driving me? Should I have done it? What was driving me was I was just it was that rage, it was that intensity where there wasn't perspective. It was like mm. I have to do this, and do I regret it? No, I because <laughs> I still hold that batting record and. You know, it was a great moment for me. And it's just, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? So well, where do, where do you yeah. put the line? Where do you, you know, I remember, I saw when Conor McGregor broke his leg in one of his last fights, he talked about the fact that, you know, he had that injury going into the fight. And I could sort you know, he's a polarizing character, but uh, people were saying, well, it's stupid to do that. He's putting himself, himself at risk. And I was thinking, if you don't understand the, what's going on in his head you know that 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 perspective and balance doesn't exist 
and that's why he does what he does. He probably fought in other fights where he, where he was at risk and uh, and came through fine, and we didn't know about it. So it's t- it's a tough one. You have um, your businesses, so the the kind of act, the management company of um, of athletes. Are you noticing? Like, do you feel you're able to kind of guide them a little bit based on what you've gone through as a former athlete? And kind of advise them on, you know, if I, if some of your clients might be coming towards the end of their career, are you able to spot something if you think they're going through uh, certain difficulties, or do you try not to uh, kind of get too involved in that side? Uh, no, no, I do, I do get involved in that side, but I, I think the 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 tricky bit is that, um, and I can certainly spot it in clients, and um, certainly, you know red flags will be coming up for me of going, I really need to keep a close eye on them at the moment. But I also have to recognize that it's their journey and that sometimes I, I can't uh, essentially, you know, I learned from my experience because I went through my experience. So I can, with clients who go through similar problems, I can talk to them and share with them my experience and, and what, what happened and how I I would advise they, they did think. But I also personally have to let go of trying to control them because it's it's their life it's their um i need to be a good influence on them but they need to experience what they can and i think there have been clients existing and past who've not fallen off the cliff as much because we've been able to share together what where where we've been and what we're feeling but at the same time i think they still had to had a fall and uh, it's just not been as bad and i think um uh, yeah it's just a really interesting balance of not trying to to control people and allow them to experience what they need to just they just kind of know that there's support there if they need it and that you are there and you know that you're um you're you're around the corner if you want to contact them really yeah exactly and i i think if you if um you're open about i'm really open about my previous struggles and my you know my ongoing the way i want to live my life and so they know it. So it's almost like it, there's someone staring at them. You're saying, listen, if you need some help, then just tell me, you know, we can talk about it. So um, I don't, I definitely don't try and hide anything from my clients or people I work with. Everybody knows, you know, that, that what I've been, you know, what, what's happened in my life. And, and that's a good thing, I think. Well, do they get a discount on the books? <laughs> that's a great question. They, they, they get some free books, that's for sure. Yeah. Um. Just talking about the, um, you know, with the mental health side in sport at the moment, are you seeing different kind of issues that are troubling athletes, uh, you know, in the, in this kind of, in this kind of modern social media world that we live in, or uh, is it quite similar to when you were playing, you know, cricket in the, I suppose, late nineties and two thousands? It's definitely amplified from my time, and my time was amplified from the ten years prior to that, or twenty years prior to that. Um, there's no question that the challenges, mental health challenges, are. Um, I, I, I've said for a long time. I think professional sports is going to be spitting out people with mental health and addiction issues for a very long time. You know, a very long time because we have to understand the person that we're putting in that environment, then the environment, and then what we expect from them afterwards, you know, it's very, very much about what the book's about. And I, mm. I think that that is really heightened, uh, in, uh, 
I don't even know what the right adjective is enormously now you know people will be there'd be in previous times people would have made a comment on social media to their friends when they're really young and naive and silly and not really thought about it and or they might have just said something and they might have got away with it that doesn't happen now picked up. yeah that doesn't happen now they could get could get picked up and they don't even remember writing it or saying it or doing it and they didn't mean it they would you know they were just young and naive and we've, you know doesn't mean it's acceptable but um they yeah. get caught on it and then it get get really bruised by it likewise they get you know that the social media is that thing that they kind of have to embrace want to embrace because it's their world they've grown up in but at the same time they have millions of people judging them on, on a on a mistake or, or a bit of success which creates all sorts of outside affirmation validation issues handling that criticism really really difficult and um it's it's never been stronger really and you know and i you see it all the time but you, you know owen farrell's taking a game a break from the international game to look after his him and his family's mental health after some of the, the difficulties he took in the rugby world cup and it, crikey for someone as strong as owen farrell to to be there and and to open up like that then you know you know this is where things are at i mean he's considered to be such a leader in when he's played at saracens in england and the fact that he's decided to step back and the Six Nations is a kind of, you know, it's the biggest tournament in the UK every year. It must be. He almost, Maybe it's just to kind of, uh, you know, I'm sure he needs that break as well mentally, but maybe it's also just to two fingers up to kind of the kind of the press and the media and the, the supposed fans, you know, of rugby kind of saying, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to step back here and just not put up with your kind of, crap for for six months you know i don't know i he's always struck me as a kind of guy just he's deeply proud to to play for england he's he's one of the greatest rugby players that we've ever produced um i just think it says a lot that he feels that he's in that space that he needs to make the decision he does and nothing you know i i'd love to say that okay everybody will go oh that wasn't so good you know maybe we should maybe rethink how we we deal with an Owen Farrell at times. I don't think it will happen. Yeah. I honestly, you know, hand on heart, I don't think the media will change what they do. I don't think people on social media will change what they do with regards to that. They think I think people see them as fair game, and uh, that's the world it, they're in. And they find someone else. Yeah, they'll find exactly right. They'll they'll find somebody else, and uh, and but that's the nature of professional sport right now. When I get into your podcast, which I really enjoy, I'm not just blowing smoke. Is I really enjoy that podcast with Fraser Fraser Franks who is twice he's been mentioned now on this podcast which means I have to get in touch with him um, and uh, also you talked with Stephen Reid on the most recent episode Fraser said 25 years ago this wouldn't have been discussed you know a coach Stephen Reid you know a very good coach at Forest former player playing at a high level has the confidence to come out and say yeah I'm struggling here um, yeah how was that talking with Stephen Stephen Reid about these different subjects of uh, kind of anxiety and uh, imposter syndrome. I loved it. I, I love speaking to Stephen. And I, I think I said on the podcast, it, you know, he was he was really letting himself be vulnerable and talking about subjects which you don't speak to hear someone in, you know, uh, professional from professional sports speaking that openly about things like that. And but yet, you could see the power it gave him, you know, he's so strong and such a strong individual. Yeah. And I, and I think that that really came through. I, I think 
it, you know, it, I, I remember in my time to get in, uh, Marcus Truscoffic was one of the first cricketers who came out and, and talked about challenges with mental health. But do you know what? I remember that time and, and cricket didn't really know what to do. We didn't really, you know, people didn't know, you know, what it was all about, what was going on, how to handle it. And so we have moved a long way, no question of it. But if you think about some of the things that, that Stephen Reid was talking about, he was talking about having panic attacks in the middle of a Premier League match. Imagine now if a Premier League footballer came out yeah. now and admitted that. I, I don't think they could. I don't think it would be possible. I don't know. I maybe you know, I'm very happy to be proven wrong, but I can't see how they'd go to their manager and say, oh, you know, I actually had a panic attack today. You know, the manager, I don't think they can. And I'm not necessarily blaming anyone, but it did make me, when I was hearing Stephen talk like that, which is amazing, I was just thinking, how many other players are there like that at the moment in Premier League football going through those issues that you just don't know about? Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, he, he, he uh, you actually talked yourself about um, you know, you told Fraser that uh, you had an anxiety attack. Was it a, was it a few weeks before, or six weeks before that? So I'm I'm guessing it's also just a kind of continuous process for yourself as well. Um, you, you know, this is it's a just a continuous journey of looking after yourself. Yes, de- definitely. And I, yeah, I it, that, that I had I had a panic attack a few weeks ago, and it. Um, it's the first time I've had one for a really, really, really long time, like years and years. And I thought it was it was past, and it, it was just had been a build up of pressure and pressure and pressure. And I think I was it was it was a not a nice experience at all, and it scared me. But it probably scared me in a good way to go. You know, I'm not. I'd got a slipped into a back into a habit of thinking I could just take more on and more on and more on, and I didn't need to worry or not didn't need to manage that and suddenly it was too much and you know it's like that that one extra drop in the bath and suddenly it's overflowing and um it, it, yeah I think it's if you've got that within you um that that can be an issue for you you need constant kind of um looking after yourself so the podcast itself why did you decide to do this uh podcast understanding men and this is a podcast you do with Fraser Franks Fraser's a former fo- footballer who um, had to retire on health grounds and anyone listening should absolutely listen to it especially men um, but I think it's a really interesting podcast I wasn't what I was expecting coming from two former footballers but there's definitely things that I can relate to especially yesterday's or well, the podcast I listened to yesterday on imposter syndrome because I have that five minutes before I start a recording yeah. for this podcast so what was it that made you want to start this podcast um, with Fraser Mm. By the way, I have that feeling before we record every podcast as well for us. So don't, don't worry. Um, what drove the podcast? I think I've had a, a great relationship with Fraser over the last few years. We talk really openly about things that we we know that men don't often talk about. We're really open with each other. We you know we, we're very very similar in lots of ways. And um, and I, that's the big driver for me is that I have a fourteen year old son. Um, who's amazing and you know I, I couldn't wish for a better son uh, and I have two step sons who are amazing also um, and they I can see 
the influences that are out there on social media at the moment for young men. And and I also, I kind of have seen a few young men within my kind of family or sphere who really have become very disillusioned and even a little bit angry with the world. And and when I hear them talk, it's, you know, it's stuff that is quite toxic and it's stuff that they've picked up on YouTube and TikTok and, you know, social media um, with regards to how men are treated within the world at the moment. It's just the kind of world of the Andrew Tate and these kind of people. Totally, totally, yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I talk about Andrew Tate way, way too much, but, you know, it's just he's a good example. You know, he those influences of sort of saying, you know, we need to be, we need to be these alpha men who show no weakness and get on with it and you should be doing this, you should be doing that, women should be treated in this way, you know, you should only marry virgins. You know, it's for, for young men, it suddenly dawned on me that actually in a, an age of female empowerment, and I have a daughter as well, um, and I love the female, the age of female empowerment and, and what it's done for her and the world that she moves into. I just had this moment where I was like, have we just left young men alone a little bit? And then these influences come in and, and suddenly they get, get quite a distorted view of the world. And, mm. you know, and that's when I said to Fraser, you know, why don't we do a podcast and just start talking about the stuff that we talk about and talk about some of the subjects that are out there that I think men want to talk about, but probably don't talk about. And um, I, I just love the podcast. I, I, you know, anyone who's listening to this, please check it out. Um, we're really proud of it. Um, it's called understanding men because all the connotations with that maybe we're trying to understand men you're trying to understand men we we are understanding men i don't know but we're just really proud of it and i i've had loads of people contact me who've who've had um taken a lot from it and i think that's that's it for us that's that's perfect we that's exactly why we wanted to do it genuinely i i really enjoy it. i've subscribed i um I've obviously been reading your book the last week and then I saw only yesterday that you had the one with Stephen Reed and I remember when Stephen Reed came um uh, kind of kind of public in 2022 I think it was when he stepped back from coaching Forest just after they get promoted I remember that coming out and he's always been uh it's such an interesting story that you had he's such a kind of quiet mm. guy and quite focused you see him walking on the pitch a lot after a game as a coach and you think he's just got it sorted he's just he's just strong and but then you have no idea what is going on obviously he talks about his anxiety that he's had um as a coach and um there must be so many other people going through that anxiety as well um so yeah it's a really interesting episode yes yeah, sir yeah, I was just going to say what I, I think what what I found really interesting with the Stephen Reed one is that he's a really in demand coach. You know, he's a really in demand first team coach, and and obviously he's in the Premier League at the moment, and has been you know tapped up by different clubs at different times. And I find that interesting because it's it's like what what is it about him that they these big managers like? And you go, well, is it a tactical thing? Maybe, maybe, but maybe it's just that he's a, he's got a real human element to his coaching you know and and it's from his experience so he 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 has that kind of really confident exterior but also when he's coaching players he's able to connect with them 
because of his experiences in a way that 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 makes makes something really powerful within their unit and i i, I wonder if that's very much come from his own personal struggles that we've got a really powerful episode coming out on monday around marriage separation which um Fraser's talked talk recently that um, in recent months him and his wife have separated and I think that's a really powerful one for people as well uh, they, I, you know the, well, I looked sometimes down on the episode list and I just feel we've obviously got we're going to continue every Monday we'll be releasing once you know for as long as we possibly can so we're going to cover a lot but I feel so proud of some of the things that we went to yeah. you know and things about you know body image and sex and pornography it's just there's things that men don't go talk really about and i think it really needed to be talked about you know money and status and then and all those sorts of things and yeah i I, i'm really proud of it the do you see the podcast as a kind of a form of uh i know therapy is it a form of therapy for you the kind of connection with um fraser that just kind of connecting with him a hundred percent yeah most definitely it's just it it's it also, I've really in my in my life now. I think it's really important, and I actively look to do it, like with the, the like with the, the podcast and the book, to do things that are not about making money or you know some some sort of business thing. It's just the podcast is just me and Fraser talking. That's it, you know. And we, it's so good for both of us, and we're talking about subjects that we need to talk about as well. And um, and I love that. And I think everybody might, you know, my for me, what works is having time in a day or a week where you step out of that kind of helter skelter of life, and you just do something just for the pureness of it. And, and the podcast is definitely that. Mm. I mean, I think, but when I listen to it, I definitely feel that there's a genuine, a genuine friendship there and connection there with Fraser. And I think that's quite important for especially men there's you know there's a lot of studies about how men have become uh have um they've lost uh, the connection with meeting up with old with older friends you know from the past i've definitely had that mm-hmm. living in germany i mean i've just i don't see anyone any of my friends anymore and it's just the old whatsapp message but it's not the same you know i think it it sounds like connecting with fraser is definitely and and it's something that could be promoted for other people is to and of check in with other people for more than just a, a WhatsApp or something. It's actually actively getting out there and uh, kind of reconnecting with, with friends. You know, it's really important. And yeah, and I, I think it's the, the good and the bad bit of social media. Social media has connected us so wonderfully, but, but also disconnected us so wonderfully because it's kind of like, well, do we slip into a place where we're getting enough of what's going on in our friend's life that we don't need to go and meet up with them and um but we do we do we need you know humans love humans we you know if anyone ever needs any proof of that look what happened to us during lockdown we hated it you know as we just didn't like not being able to have that kind of human interaction i think it's so Yeah, it's, it, the the podcast I would highly recommend it to anyone. It's really I, I'm really enjoying it, and um, I enjoyed the one with um, the gymnast mm, Niall Wilson. Yeah, yeah. He took Niall Wilson. Yeah, he discussed um his kind of identity of finish of leaving the sport. He was had this identity as being an Olympian. Uh, what what did you learn from that conversation with Niall? How did it 
how did it uh, relate to you finishing your career as a printer? Well, uh, well it, for Niall, it, it, it was very, his story is really powerful in that he's had to retire at a very young age, you know, 20, 20, 24, 25, and is very successful away from his sport and, and financially is able to, you know, is in a really good position. So it's essentially, well, you know, to the average observer, it's like, well, look, okay, yeah, you retired early, but look, you won an Olympic medal. Look at you. You've got loads of money. You're, you're happy. You're always good. And yet when he talks, you can still hear that kind of massive void in his life where all of that kind of doesn't really get anywhere close to allowing him to to compete in elite sport. And I, I, it really makes me think about the fact that, you see, I don't have that. So for me, I, I, it's because he just loved performing and being an Olympian, being a gymnast. That's that's what he wants, you know. For me, I was a professional cricketer. I was. I'm not. I'm happy not to be a professional cricketer anymore because I kind of got myself into a real pickle as a person. Not your identity now. No, absolutely not. And and uh, the death of you, you know, with my book is that is the death of that person you know that's what happens and how you deal with it and how you're able to kind of put that into perspective is um very much the key what do you think could be done more uh in you know i, I know in rugby and cricket and football they're trying to put frameworks in place for athletes to um have this transit this kind of easier transition what do you think could be done more to kind of it's very it's a very it's a difficult question but to kind of help these athletes to transition and find this new new purpose or is that an impossible question to answer everyone's different no it's yeah it's not impossible it's just it's a very difficult it's a complex answer and and you're right everybody is different i think the the broadest answer i'd give to it is that i think in my time all for good well-meaning reasons it was very much about okay go go and get a qualification and then that's going to help you in retirement you know go and go and do a course and you know you'll you'll yeah. be good and and that's that still does exist now i'm not saying that that's not going to be helpful but the struggle is something much more profound and deeper than just having an accountancy course or a you know a, a you know a workman's course or what you know qualification um the crux of it comes down to what you and how you have been conditioned and nurtured are going to find the outside world because it isn't the same as professional sport. It isn't. The rules are different. The way you're going to interact is different. So coming out of a bubble, coming out of a bubble, coming out of a very conditioned kind of environment into something that's going to be very alien to you. So someone can have a qualification, but if they're not ready for that, that's going to hit them like a train. So for me, it's very much get more ex-athletes talking to athletes about what's to come because it's going to be difficult. That's it. You know, it's, it's not going to be an easy transition, but get them to explain to them in their language why it's going to be difficult. And okay, yes, get qualifications, absolutely. But yeah. that bit of telling them what it's going to be like is going to be from people that they trust and know, not just someone kind of giving them a lecture, then that's really going to help. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more former athletes kind of seems like they'd be going into... I mean, that would be a great idea for former athletes to go into the 
a new career of how to um, help former athletes, mm. you know, fi finding that new, I mean, is anything going to, is anything really going to um, replicate the buzz of playing professional sport? Unlikely, is it? I thought, yeah. It's necessary to find uh, something else you love. Yes. Or, or finding, um, you know, what you're talking about, purpose and meaning and direction. I think I think those, they're all interwoven and they're all really important. But it's kind of like, what am I doing? You know, what am I meant to be doing? You could have millions and millions in the bank, but if you wake up and you don't really know what you want to do, it's, it's a very long day. And I think it, it, it is helping people like that. But the... the the truth is that people need to go out there from professional sport and experience the outside world, work out what they like and what they don't like. You know, it's a bit like when someone leaves the university that, you know, there might be that their first job is a great lesson for them because they think I'd never want to do that job again. And, you know, it's the same for professional athletes. They need to get out there and, and experience it, but they, you know, I, in my book, I, I write about a Gail Ems talks about it really well, that, that, Professional athletes are very used to feedback. Very, yeah, very, yeah, very used to feedback. You know, okay, we didn't play well. Why? What did I do wrong? Okay, how do I fix that? Great. Right, we're going to go to the training ground. We're going to go fix that thing. They're very used to confrontation and very used to feedback, and they're they're craving it. They're really craving it to go. Okay, that because ultimately they want to solve the problem to improve. Yeah, they want to improve. So I missed the penalty. Okay, tell me, why did I miss my penalty? Well, your, your weight was in the wrong position. Okay, right, let's go and practice that now 3,000 times, so don't do it again. That's what they want to do. When they walk out into the normal world and they go to a big corporate environment where people are trying to climb the corporate ladder at different times and opportunities can be quite political and quite difficult, they don't get that feedback. They don't get a clear pathway as to go, okay, I didn't get it, what do I need to do? And so they can they're battling yeah they, with, with others yeah exactly and they don't they don't understand the rules you know if it's like okay they're in a team and if we're going you're in a team we're there to win this game of football rugby cricket netball whatever it is in a corporate environment yes we're trying to do well for the company but actually we're all got our own little agendas as to where we're trying to move within the corporate ladder they struggle with it um, to survive and yeah climb the ladder yeah. And so they just need to be talked through that and have the experience of, ex of experiencing it and then being able to come back out and speak to somebody and go, I don't really understand this. Why is this working like this? And then, and then move forward from there. And that's something that Tom May discussed as well um, in the book, how you know he, he was going into companies and kind of in a kind of uh, maybe in an internship or just a kind of experience side. And you know, you're, you're a kind of a graduate level uh, kind of knowledge going in but you've had all this experience as an athlete it doesn't kind of it doesn't put you where you might think you are because you haven't really experienced that the business side the corporate mm. life yet because you've been in this bubble of being an athlete yeah yeah and I, mean, I think in in Tom's case with professional rugby it's you know rugby players there's because of the physical battle and physical confrontation there's that just a set of values and uh, they live in a structure, um, professional rugby players, which is more unique, I think, than than cricket or rugby or other sports, because they have to put their physical trust in each other in a in a in a really I don't know if extremes a bit too much, but a, a very powerful way. So whether they like each other or not, when it comes to showtime, 
they are at war with, and they are brothers or sisters together going, right, we're going to look after each other. So rugby players live like that. You know, you, if you you interact with them, it's, it's like, there's almost like a military feel to it, the way that they go about the, you know, them the looking after their brothers. And they might not even like each other, but that doesn't matter. You know, this is more important for them. So for them, when they go in that corporate world and they fight, yeah, when they go in the corporate and they find that someone's backstabbing them or, you know, somebody's um, not trying to help them with something, they don't understand it. It's like, hang on, I've lived my whole life by this set of values and now you're telling me it doesn't make any sense now. Um, I just want to go back to now Wilson, how, and this is something that you would relate to. You know, he, he talked about drinking and mm. how he was um, maybe going too far with his drinking. And this is obviously something you experienced and uh, you, you went to um, the Priory uh, because of these uh, issues. Is that right that you went to the Priory because of those issues? Yeah. Or was it a mental, was it mental health uh, grounds? Uh, well, it was all it was all part of the same family, really. Uh, but but drinking was a was a big part of it. Yeah. So you know, my my relationship with alcohol was was the main driver. My mental health was shot, but uh, in a big part because of the way I was drinking. Yeah. I mean, this is something you discussed in your in the book. Um, sorry, I want to get the title right. Back from the edge. Back from the edge. Apologies. No, don't no need that. Is there still like the, a, a drinking culture in? professional sport or is that are there different addictions you know you mentioned before how there'll be a lot of athletes spat out mm. of sport who will have to live with addiction and mental health problems what do you think is still um what are the issues at the moment of addiction in in sport i i, I don't think there is a drinking culture like there used to be i don't i think you know all sports have just the 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 need for higher performance and uh means that people you just can do it you know the the, the physical fitnesses that they have to be, you know, even for a sport like cricket, which isn't the same demands as a rugby, but still it, it doesn't exist in the same way. I think the biggest one that I worry about is gambling. Yes. I think it's just, it's a silent assassin because I think it, you can do it on your phone. No one can see yeah. if you're talking about young men and women who've got more than their counterparts in money. It's very tempting. It, it's very, uh, it gives them that buzz that they get the same buzz of what, of doing something on a field. Uh, and I think it doesn't surprise me when I hear things in the press of someone's being banned because of betting offences. I, I That's the biggest one that I worry about at the moment. Yeah, you, the problem with the gambling, isn't it, is you can't notice the physical uh, sides of gambling like you can with alcohol or or drugs it, it it can just be this like you say this silent aspects i'm i'm talking to patrick foster next week uh who was a former cricketer oh, brilliant yeah and uh obviously yeah. talked to him about the gambling problem but about his gambling uh history and how he's done so well to come back from a really dark place but yeah it sounds like the drinking culture is kind of been re- replaced with this kind of digital form of addiction and especially with gambling especially as the financial aspect the financial side i mean the most of the stories we hear of gambling addiction are from uh footballers most most of the stories you hear coming out are from footballers and they seem to have mm. potentially uh, uh higher 
higher wages than the others and they feel oh it's more it's just gamified to go and to go and gamble yeah i i i think so but i think it probably exists in in other sports it might just be that generally football gets much more atten- attention because of the money and the profile that that we that they we see it more but i i think football I, you know when he i'm trying to think of a couple of players who recently i think ivan tony got um, banned didn't he from betting i remember hearing him in a on a podcast talking about it and you know he was actually betting on football which you, you think of how powerful that is that mm. um he knows he's not meant to be doing it and yet he's still betting on his own sport i mean he, you know and, and i think that just shows how powerful an addiction can take you that you can't see anything it was on his own team as well yeah i and you know, and I, I understand it wasn't games that on his own team, games that he wasn't playing in, but still on his own team. So you just think, well, how powerful must that be that he still crossed those lines to do it? Yeah. Um, and uh, there, there you go. There's the number of it. Luke, thank you for your time. Where, where are the places that people can get hold of you and find where you are on social media or LinkedIn and yeah, podcast? Yeah, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. Um, no, people find me on, I think I'm on all social media. Um come find me on instagram but um check out the understanding men podcast also on on instagram and i think it's on tiktok um and my books are available on amazon but um if anyone's ever you know in any of the subjects i talk about and we talk about on the podcast i you know i welcome all opinions if someone really disagrees with me that's okay that's cool like you know come and tell me um and i i value everyone's opinion on it so please find me if you want to and there we go that was my conversation with luke sutton thank you to luke for his time i really appreciate it i hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did please consider subscribing uh, check out the description below also where you can find luke's book as well as his podcast and the links to his social media okay thanks for listening and see you next time